Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason. Like the Alliance is basically like a dysfunctional like co-op apartment building board, like where like everyone's just got like different priorities and like no one really trusts each other. And by famous Star Wars artist Danny Haas. And they turned around, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> On this episode, we discuss Dune cinematographer Greg Fraser's previous sci-fi work of art, Rogue One. We consider the meaning of sacrifice, how reshoots can sometimes change a movie for the better, and why the Empire has so damn many OSHA compliance issues. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Be like listeners Katie Dreek and James19644 and leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, as it really helps new listeners find the show. And now, Rogue One. So, Danny, how do you art? Oh, man, how do I art? How do you art? Nowadays, it's just, uh, it's, it's pretty much digital, I would say 90% of the time at this point. Illustrator, vector-based, Photoshop, you know. It's just, the, it's just what I have to do. <laughs> I don't do traditional much. How do you choose, like, your subjects? Uh, whoever's paying me the most. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a lot of times if I'm doing art for art's sake, it's kind of because I love doing pop culture stuff. It's usually what I'm into at the moment. Or mm -hmm. if I, you know, I've seen something that I kind of want to do my spin on or my take on, that's where I kind of go with. But at this point, I got just enough on my plate that it's just whoever's paying the bills. Right. Well, we definitely saw your Star Wars run uh, recently. We saw some of the pins that you had for Celebration. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Thanks, man. Looks really good. Thank you. Every year, Celebration chooses one artist to do the pins yeah. for, the, for the whole thing, and that was you this year. Yeah, it's super rad. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it was, it was me this year. It was cool. Um, it, you know, it's funny because Celebration is a blast to be at. Um, just because it's run by Lucasfilm, it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a Star Wars party for the weekend. They're usually launching something or announcing and... Mm. And so there's a lot of like things going on and collecting the pins is one of them and it's always a big deal. So it's cool that uh, I got to do it this year. I did like 56 different pins. So uh, Crazy. Amazing. It was a lot of fun. Big project. I wish we could have done it in person to kind of been a part of all that, but it is what it is this year. Totally. Well, Danny Haas, welcome to Dune Pod. Thanks, man. We're super stoked. Happy to be yeah, here. Yeah, we're happy to have you here as part of a 70 millimeter month. We continue rolling. We had <laughs> Slim last week. Good old Slim. Good old Slim. And now we got to, we have you here tonight. And we are talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, and we're talking about that tonight because Greg Fraser, who was the director of photography for Rogue One, is also the DP for Dune. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember kind of being struck visually when I saw Rogue One originally. So it's nice to revisit and, and think about what we'll, what we'll learn about Dune from, from watching this. So yeah, really happy to have you here. Thanks, man. I'm happy to be here. And actually, I think tonight Greg won an Emmy for Mandalorian. Oh, Mandalorian? Yeah, I think his episode won cinematic uh, Damn. excellence Emmy. Late-breaking late Dune news. <laughs> for, what, for What did he win it for? Uh, excellence in cinematography for episode seven, which was, I think, The Reckoning. I think he's- Mandalorian. The, the Mandalorian. Oh, Mandalorian. Yeah. oh, crazy. Yeah, so I think they just announced it tonight. That's great. Yeah. Good. He deserves it. I agree. 
apparently when they were working on Rogue One, they started working on the idea of the volume, which is the 3D circular chamber that they're filming in where they have LEDs on the panels. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of really pioneered that technique and became the expert of it. And now that's being rolled out for a bunch of movies that, that ILM is working on. So it's super cool. So that is tonight. We'll be talking about Rogue One at the bottom of the bottom of the hour, just around the corner. Next week, the triumphant return of Proto Lexus. Mm. At last, uh, he is back to talk about Children of Dune, maybe our favorite book of the series. Oh, I think so. I think so. I'm 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 very delighted on my read through of Children of Dune by how how good it is. I'm in the section right now that I enjoy less well, but. Uh-huh. As a whole, the book is is very strong, and I need to finish it by next week. This is a good reminder for myself. <laughs> yes, and so for all of you listeners around, if you are working your way through Children of Dune, next week we're going to cover the first half of the book, and then the week after we'll cover the second half. So you have you have a little bit of time to to get through there, but it's it's a really good one. I enjoyed it more than I'm listening to Bob Woodward's Rage right now. And oh, good lord, why would you little, do that to yourself? It's a little less fun. <laughs> My God, it's quite informative actually. But that's crazy. That is just crazy. Yeah. So uh, so let's go ahead and get into Dune news. Would you like to know more? So just a couple of things this week. After, like, it's nice to have a breather after last week. It was absolutely insane. But uh, the trailer continues to roll on. 22 million views for this trailer, which has now surpassed the Batman. I thought that was a very surprising fact. I, I don't I don't know enough about, like, sort of what gimmicks, or, like, maybe they were promoted differently, or maybe there's another canonical source for the Batman trailer or something. Mm. But that seems hard to kind of reckon with, given that Batman is the most established IP, like, uh, for which there's a property currently in the, world. In the mm -hmm. world. I mean, like, you know, it's like that and, like, Star Wars, like, or something. You know, I mean, and Dune is not those things. Maybe it's, I, I don't know. I don't have any theory on why that would be true. I don't think it's purely hype. There's got to be something else going on. It's hmm. our time. It's our time, Dune. It's our time? Yeah. Down here, it's our time. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. It's our time down here. <laughs> yeah. Danny, what is your favorite version of Batman so far? Oh, it's, it's The Dark Knight for sure. I, I fell mm. in love with uh, that movie a lot. I mean, I'm a Chris Nolan shill, so um, mm -hmm. uh, I love almost almost everything he does. But the Dark Knight trilogy for me, I felt uh, was, I mean, Rises has its own problems, but I love the yeah. Dark Knight a lot, mm, uh, a lot, totally. a lot, actually. So um, that was a triumph for me for Batman. And then, I mean, Tim Burton's work has always astounded me. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Iconic for sure. Do you want to give us just really quickly, speaking of your Nolan fanboying, uh, do you want to give us your quick Tenet review? I was going to say, I got to see the Dune trailer on the big screen, which wow. felt Hell real good. Yeah. It's funny because I'm so, I was so hesitant to go into the theaters. And that day I was watching this theater that's close to me and there was a 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon and not one ticket had sold. I'm like, man, this is my chance to go sit alone in a theater. <laughs> this is my time. And I did it I, about an hour before showtime. No ticket had been bought. I bought the ticket, got there. No one showed up. It was just me in a giant ass theater by myself. The trailers kicked in and that Dune trailer, man, it was incredible to see on that screen. I mean, the, the oh. music alone in that theater, I mean, I'm quite excited. And I heard, I think it was either Proto or someone last week on your Pod talked about the drabness or whatever the color choices. Yeah, of yeah, this. yeah. Yep. The color I don't palette. Know, it was man. slim, slim last week. Slim, was yeah. Talking that drab. And you shit. know, 
I kind of liked it a lot. I really yeah. liked it. It it kind of maybe it is for just for the trailer, but it gave me a really good mood that I'm looking forward to in this movie for sure. Mm. So it was great to see on the big screen. I felt that watching, and we'll get into it when we talk about Rogue One, but like I felt like a Rogue One has a very like worn kind of mm-hmm. gritty look to it for Star Wars, where like some of the external CGI stuff kind of still pops like Star Wars and like still has like right. kind of that that broad kind of high contrast, have very colorful feel. Mm-hmm. But the stuff in the interiors, particularly in in, in like inside the uh, Cassie and Andrew's ship, like it looks like it looks like this is this is this is where people just have been breathing a lot of each other's air for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tenet to me was, it's a shame that it's out during a pandemic because it would be pulling down insane numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, to me, it was a lot of fun. I like I liked this kind of movie where my brain is, I feel like it's active the whole time figuring out what's going on. Even if by the end credits, I have no idea what happened. Mm-hmm. It felt good to have to be stretched my mind like that during a time where I feel like I've just been staring at my computer for months. That's that's awesome. I was it was pretty hype. This movie it was a lot of fun, and I hadn't seen. I think his name's Jason. John David Washington. John David yeah, Washington. Thank you. Uh, he's yeah. fantastic in this, so I was happy to hmm. see him on the big screen. And I haven't seen Black Klansman. I think that's what he's mainly he's known great. for. Yeah, he's really good in that. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, it gives me two two things. One is I hope I know Warner Brothers. You continue to listen to Dune Pod. We appreciate your <laughs> fan your fandom of this pod, and I think you should listen to Danny when he gives you the good advice, which is don't be lulled into releasing Dune to suboptimal box office just because you think you need to get it out during a pandemic. Hmm. You don't. There's other things you could do. Use your creative brains. Do something else. Uh, and then thing two, which is we've been worried about, or I have specifically on how we're going to ever see this movie, uh, mm-hmm. when Dune, when it comes out, because, uh, it will be a month after our second child is born and likely oh. during a, a bad part of the pandemic cycle, if the flu season's bad or just, you know, still will right. be the pandemic, even if it's not. And the fact that you are able to see it alone in a theater gives me the thought we just need to buy out a theater. Yes. And then we go, just go and see it. Just go and see it. Here's the thing. That theater I went to has the option to buy out the theater. It was 150 bucks. And I could bring 20 people to that theater to see Tenet. Whoa. Yeah. It's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Yeah. That's a great idea. Wow. Okay, good. Warner Brothers, call us. We'll send you a bill uh, yeah. for this brainstorming session. <laughs> yeah, for this brainstorming session for your release, and you get to go see the movie. So another another piece of Dune news um, coming out of the trailer. I read today, so Hans Zimmer, typically people were saying, hey, you know, we heard a little bit of his score, but then not because they don't use that music in the trailer and whatnot. Hans did the Pink Floyd Eclipse cover personally. Wild shit, wild shit. He made the whole thing. Um, he worked with 32 individual choir members uh, via FaceTime, had them recording four at a time, um, all from his studio uh, in his house. And downloads of Eclipse, uh, the original Pink Floyd version, are up 1,756% since the trailer came out. So. <laughs> Crazy. I don't know, man. Maybe we are. Maybe we're all riding the worm here. Maybe this is really like the, this is really the, people are into it and it's all mm. going to happen. This is yeah. going to be the big, the big new franchise. We are on to something. Yeah. We figured it out. Yeah. We figured it out in advance. We're, we're yeah. like the, the, uh, the, the tastemakers. Right. 
So, Danny, what is your history with Dune? I, I know okay. you covered it on 70 millimeter, mm-hmm. but but talk to us about what your sort of experience is with Dune. Yeah, that is my history of Dune. <laughs> I, you watched the Lynch movie. I watched Did you the give it the Lynch. one star? Were you the one star? I am review? not the one star. Okay, oh, am I? That was, I don't think I was. I think you... All right. <laughs> I, I, I was probably a two or three. I, I didn't hate it. Uh, yeah. My problem was... Um, I don't know. I didn't know the story. I didn't read the books. I it mm-hmm. it was very heady. I I couldn't wrap my head around a lot was going on. I was distracted by the whispering. Uh, yeah. So um, and a lot of the names of characters, I couldn't keep a lot straight. I could definitely keep the Baron straight because I knew what he looked like, but I couldn't tell you right now who uh, Sting played, what his name was. <laughs> Fade, uh, yeah. Except yeah. he looked amazing. Right. <laughs> He's in really good shape. He was a very good shape. Uh, so I'm, so what I'm a very excited about with this new movie is to actually really, really sink my teeth in and fall in love with Dune. Cause I know I can, and I know I yeah. want to. Yeah. So here's to Danny, yeah. bringing back my love for Dune. Let's do it. I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so that's it. my history. And I've seen the trailer for the new movie. All right. And, n- and now you're a guest on Dune Pod, which yeah, is see? really the most illustrious achievement that any Dune fan can have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put that on your resume. You're going places. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we get into it? Yes. All right. Here we go. Rogue One is the choice to rebel or surrender. Jin Urso was abandoned by her father Galen and again by the rebel, or terrorist, who raised her to be a resistance fighter. Alone and captured, she is given no choice but to join the fledgling rebel alliance in its fight against the Empire. As she is drawn deeper into the battle, she will discover that she has deep reserves of inner strength and inspire others to attempt the impossible. Jin will push farther than she thought possible, uncover her destiny, and light the spark of hope that will bring freedom to the galaxy. Mm. Rogue One. Rogue One. I have to I have to confess something at Uh-oh. this point in the in the podcast. I love Rogue One. That's not the that's not the thing I okay, okay. I feel I've put I put like too much uh, expectation on this podcast about Rogue One because mm. in and rewatching it, like I realize that. I was like living through all my feelings about the Disney era of the Star Wars movies and my uh, strong dislike of what happened uh, as a result of that era. And I feel in Rogue One, you kind of get uh, you kind of you kind of get clued into the fact like why there was a problem coming. Uh, you know, sort of three years before it all really hit the fan. And mm. I'm hoping that this podcast will serve as a therapeutic vehicle for me to Ooh. excise those demons. So okay. it's a lot. It's a lot I'm asking for both of you to go okay. on this journey with me. I'm here for you. All right. I yeah. We it. can get through this together for sure. Yeah. So first of all, this film was directed by, this is at a time, you know, uh, Disney had just bought Lucasfilm. This was after The Force Awakens, but it was being filmed before The Force Awakens was released. So, um, and originally it was it was based on an idea by John Knoll, who was a visual effects uh, supervisor there. Um, 
And apparently they really originally wanted it to be for the Star Wars TV show, and then they kind of came back to it years later and thought about it as a small movie, and then it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more epic. Um, and so I, I really like the fact uh, for for how it came together, using Gareth Edwards, who had done a couple of movies, uh, Godzilla being the biggest thing that he had done at that point. Um, it was kind of cool to bring in some new blood and to do something a little bit different uh, from what had been there. Mm. And I think, to me, that's an interesting theme for this entire movie. Um, and it starts in the very opening shot of the film, there's no crawl. No crawl, yeah. What or was your fanfare. reaction? Yeah, when you saw that, what was your reaction, Danny? Uh... You know, I don't. I didn't know if I expected it. I think I did expect it, um, but it I, it kind of set the tone for the movie um, that I I need to not have my expectations uh, of this being some episodic Star Wars film. I, I quickly, I'm I forget about my problems with no crawler uh, fanfare because the opening shots of this movie are absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. I'm instantly engaged in what this ship is doing, flying over these rings and landing on this gorgeous, uh, planet, uh, that I'm instantly into this movie. Yeah. The distance, the fact that it's like the ship is in the far distance is like, mm-hmm. it was like a unique shot for star Wars. And then yeah. the black beach and then the death troopers, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the wide shot of them, Incredible. the Terrence Malick shot of like walking through mm-hmm. the tall grass. It was like, Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. They do a really cool job. I, I mean, probably credits to Greg on this point because you followed this ship. It, it's actually, it's so funny cause you, I think about it often because of the rings around this planet that you see them from different angles coming into the, the ship landing, you see the, the, tiny ship flying over them then you see the ship flying under them and it's mm. this really cool perspective of scale and how grand uh that planet is and it's it's a smart way to start this movie the other thing i noticed uh was the use of chirons which i don't think had ever been used in star wars before like labeling the planets mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, was tr- I was trying to figure out what that font was it didn't even look like a standard star wars font uh, yeah i don't know it actually and there's actually one planet they don't Chiron and it's uh, Mustafar because they right, wanted right. to leave Vader right. still a surprise. Right, right. They didn't like put in like Fortress Vader. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're at Fortress <laughs> Vader. Wonder who <laughs> might be here. <laughs> so I love uh, the, the discussion with Galen and Krennic, right? So mm-hmm. we have Mads uh, and Ben Mendelssohn and Mendelssohn like immediately to me is like such a great presence in this film. What is it you want? The work has stalled. I need you to come back. I won't do it, Krennic. We were on the verge of greatness. We were this close to providing peace, security for the galaxy. You're confusing peace with terror. Well, you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How good is Ben Mendelsohn in this movie, though? He's just yeah. a, he's just a phenomenal actor. Like I think he got a lot of respect and a lot of attention for um, leading uh, The Outsider, uh, which is a very good uh, Stephen King adaptation series mm. uh, that I recommend. Um, another movie of his that I really enjoy and recommend to folks is a really strange movie called... It's not strange like in its plot. It's just strange that it exists called Mississippi Grind, mm. uh, which is essentially a recent redo, redo of um, California Split, which is like a as like an old Altman movie about gam like degenerate gamblers. This is like a huh. contemporary movie where Ben Mendelsohn um, 
uh, plays a degenerate gambler, uh, and it's uh, it's really and Ryan Reynolds is his like traveling partner. It's like it's very huh. strange. This and this is like contemporary Ryan Reynolds at the peak of his powers. Uh, just decided to do this weird degenerate gambling movie. Recommended. I like Ben a lot. I think he's a really solid actor. Yeah, very good. I mean, he has a perfect Star Wars presence. Like he fit in mm-hmm. so well. So good. He's, yeah. he's a good imperial. So I thought it was really cool when when he says, uh, you know, Lyra, troublesome as ever. Mm-hmm. Something in my mind just sort of like caught to that, and it just felt too familiar. And then later you have the shot of them like having drinks in their apartment on whatever imperial planet. Coruscant. It's on Coruscant. It? Important fact. Oh, okay. It is Coruscant. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't see a Chiron for it, but uh, uh, you, have to, you have to you have to read the notes. <laughs> But there's something there that's interesting about them. They're good friends. They're working on this thing together. And like, what was the breaking point? Like, there's there's obviously a lot more under the surface there of of how things kind of fell apart. But but the notion of him them just straight up giving the order to kill her is pretty brutal. Yeah, maybe the drinks didn't go well in Coruscant. She like served the wrong cocktails, <laughs> or he like didn't like what was for dinner or something. I don't know. So we cut from there to Cassian Andor, uh, and so. He is so phenomenal in this film. Mm-hmm. Diego Luna. Yeah, Diego Luna. The way they just set him up in the moment where he's talking to the source and the source can't get away, the stormtroopers are there, and he's, he says, calm down, calm down, everything's going to be fine, and then he shoots him. And just the look on his face of having to kill this guy in order to escape and to carry out his mission, it was dark. I mean, I remember yeah, when I saw yeah. it in the theaters, I was like, holy shit, this is not what you'd normally get in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. No, it's not what you get in Star Wars. I think this is a good point to interject uh, that this was not in the director's cut of the movie. Like this scene of Cassian Andor like killing uh, the the source was not uh, was not in Gareth Edwards' cut of the movie. This is was put reshoot? in by it was put in by Tony Gilroy when he came in and did the extensive reshoots that happened uh, at the at the tail end of the movie, which is like one of the themes that. I'd like to talk about, which is mm-hmm. like in some ways, like what Disney has done with like Star Wars, a Star Wars story and setting this up as a different type of movie is mm-hmm. great risk taking. And like they also like in the tone here, like sort of tried something else. But this era of Star Wars filmmaking at, at Disney is also plagued where this is, they made five movies, three of those movies, they ended up firing the director. Um, and so it's, this is and this is the only one that resulted in a good movie. The other two are solo in episode nine. Uh, and uh, don't talk about solo like that. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's trash. Uh, and, and so and so like I think, but like it's worth noting that like that Tony Gilroy had to come in after the director's cut was done and put this scene in because introducing Cassian Andor as like someone who would kill a source is a pretty important idea if you're going to buy him later as someone who might kill Galen Erso, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, in in the scenes that come. Mm. It is definitely needed because. Uh, as much as I like Diego Luna and I love Cassian, his presence uh, physically, I don't take him as some stone cold killer. Like he's a he's not some muscular like. So they have to they have to lead with that with him that you can somehow wrap your mind around the fact that he could uh, just kill you cold blooded. Because really yeah. hard to it's really hard to to think about Diego kind of doing that. Because I feel like anyone could beat him up at any moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's just phenomenal to think about uh, that having been inserted, how important that is to the film, the idea of that being crafted in a really effective way after the fact to make the film uh, so much better is, is really impressive. 
So we cut from that to the prison break. Uh, and so I just love, I love the, the look of the ship driving across the prison planet and um, the, how grimy the stormtroopers' helmets are. Um, definitely had some of the vibes from Mandalorian there with the, the grimy stormtroopers there. That was, that was uh, super cool. And then just we have the introduction of K2. I mean, is he the coolest droid ever? I, I love K2 so much. He's great. Uh, shout out to the God, Alan Tudyk. Uh, mm-hmm. really, really good. Uh, it's funny. A lot of the lines, a lot of the funny lines, like, you know, like the, he has a line later, you're like, or you'll get another taste or whatever. We're ad-libbed by him. Right, right. Um, so he's, it's just a, a great, a great, great role. Uh, and definitely, yeah, I don't know what droid you'd put higher on the list than him. Mm. And that, uh, that, that, uh, vehicle that's transporting Jen is the turbo tank that we see in episode Two, I believe, on Kashyyyk. Oh. Uh, oh, so yeah. there's there's actually Where Yoda's like out the window. Yep, there's a ton yeah. of little tidbits that they had to pull together to make Rogue One flow into Episode Four, especially how close it comes to to Rebels as well, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So please feel free to to drop those in as we as yeah. we get in there. So this last year, I spent um, as part of my quarantine time for COVID, I watched all of Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars. Um, just finished that through season seven and I'm in season three of rebels right now. And there are lots of great little Easter eggs that, that tie in. And, and for folks who have not watched, it's a huge commitment to do clone wars, mm-hmm. like I have hundred episodes or whatever. Huge commitment. Um, but it is definitely between clone wars, especially the later seasons. It's definitely some of the best star Wars that has ever been made in any medium. Really, really well done stories. So they take Jin to Yavin 4, and like mm. the moment we get there, it's just like, Chewie, we're home. <laughs> Feels good. Oh, it was yeah. Good. yeah. Yeah, it was really good. It's great, great to see Yavin 4. Amazing to see her. And then and to, to instantly have that sort of like, you're all the way drawn in, you understand exactly how things are tying this together. Um, and so we have the rollout of the mission, and I like the idea that the Alliance has written off Saw, that he is just too extreme mm-hmm. for them. Um, and I also like... You know, she doesn't have any choice. She's going to have to go try and and get them connected to Saw. But Cassian's mission of of executing her father um, just gives you perfect tension for the rest of the film. I thought that was super effective. I also like how they set up the alliance as just kind of sucking at this mm-hmm. point in history. Like the alliance is basically like a dysfunctional like co op apartment building board. Like where like everyone's <laughs> just got like different priorities and like no one really trusts each other. And uh, you know it's just like there's no real there's not great leadership. Like you know Mon Mothma is not really showing off like the 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 charismatic chops of a, of a great leader. And like, you know, my guy, Jimmy Smith isn't really like, you know, he's, he's kind of the old, he's got, yeah, I don't know what his, he's like a, he's like the old guard doesn't seem to really have, it doesn't really seem to have control of anyone. And yeah, it just seems like a bunch of scrubs at this point in, in, in history. I like that. that, Like it's again, like this movie does a really good job of subverting expectations in the star Wars, um, in the star Wars universe. I love that shot of Jimmy walking in, though that slow coming out of the darkness with the music playing. Oof! Gave Thank me the God chills. for Jimmy. Jimmy Smith. I know. Should, should, <laughs> whatever he got paid wasn't enough. <laughs> so, as as somebody, and so Jason, you should know. Uh, the first time I ever heard Danny's voice was when he was on Slim's old podcast, Faves, mm. where you talk about your favorite thing, whatever it is. And Danny came in and talked about the very first Star Wars film he ever saw, which was Episode One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. That was of his course. introduction to the entire to the entire thing. And I have plenty of problems with the prequel films, but through <laughs> Clone Wars, um, 
it, I have achieved an entirely different perspective and appreciation for it. And the idea that Smits is introduced in the prequels and then to come back in the Clone Wars and in Rogue One is super- yeah, That's great. Like, it has great weight to it. Yeah, um, it is great. I have less issue with the prequels now because I was hurt so badly by episode nine. Like, hey. like the, the stakes the stakes weren't so high for me with the prequels somehow. <laughs> or like time has like numbed the pain. I was like, all right, well, and like and also the other the other thing about the prequels is that episode three is the best of the three. Uh and so <laughs> it's like it ends on like, all right, well, like look, like no one like Jar Jar wasn't good for anyone, but like, you know, that fucking Darth Vader shit is great. Uh, yeah. and then but you know. Yeah, it's yeah. just not what happened this time around. Yeah, we don't have to go all the way there, but uh, no, so, we have to. I have to get this out of my system. Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll 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 take it in steps as we as we make our way. So we next have the introduction to Jedi, and of course, in any Star Wars film, the locations are as important as anything else. You know, just kind of really critical. And when you see these giant fallen Jedi statues. Mm-hmm. It's just and especially how wide the shots are, how expansive the, the views are. It really is. And I love those first shots when we see uh Cassian and, and Jen from behind and you see the big city, the Jedi City with the Star Destroyer on top and those colors, the 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 sands and the and the blue sky. And I mean that's that scene is shot so incredibly well and uh I mean I actually really love Jeddah. It felt less like some desert. It felt less like Tatooine and mm-hmm. this this hot desert as and more like this. I don't know. It just it didn't feel. It had a great feeling to it. It didn't feel like something I'd already seen in Star Wars before. Had we seen a Star Destroyer in in this in the atmosphere before? Because um, that was really. I was like, whoa, that is awesome. That's like floating right there. I don't think we've seen it in planet before like that. Uh, it is very cool. Yeah. It's dope. No, it felt like Jetta City felt like more populated. That it felt like a real place, like as mm-hmm. opposed to some of the other some of the other cities they show. Like you know, when they're walking around the streets and like you know they like are bumping into stuff. It felt like an actual city. So we do have uh, with this first pass at, at Jetta where we have Bodhi coming in and trying to turn himself in to, to try and meet Saw. We have the introduction of of our man Forrest Whitaker. Uh, so, <laughs> so Jason, I know you loved his Brooklyn accent in Arrival. What was yeah. your, what was your take on Saul? Lies! Deception! <laughs> That's actually really I like, good. I like That's really Saul. good. Shout, shout out to Jason Concepcion though from Binge Mode who does the best soccer era <laughs> on mine. It's just a pale yeah. platonic shadow. Um, but yeah, I think he does a pretty good job. Uh, I, I like Sagarera as a character. I like I like how like kind of theatrical and operatic his his performance mm-hmm. of it is. It's worth noting though the scene in which Bodhi is captured or turns himself in. Um, also another insert by Tony Gilroy. Like they did mm. not actually introduce the character of the pilot, uh, uh, and therefore did not build any stakes about why his sacrifice would be meaningful later in the original director's mm. cut of the movie. Interesting. It took me a while to warm up to to uh, Forrest Whitaker's performance because it almost felt like he wasn't sure what movie he was in. <laughs> it was it was so over the top and weird. But man, I do fall in love with with uh, Saul a lot in this film. Uh, I, I think I, Forrest is great. I think you're right that like it's kind of like could this performance have been in anything? Like it doesn't necessarily. Like it isn't necessarily Star Warsy, but like yeah. not to maybe like rub on a sore point if you really want to cape up for Solo, but like will. if you were to <laughs> if you were to compare Saw Gerrera like Forrest Whitaker 
uh, Asar Guerrero to Paul Bettany as whoever the fuck that guy is in <laughs> in in Solo. Like Paul Bettany, like ha- has no idea what he's doing in that movie. Like he just showed up. He's just like, look, like you know, I'm I'm here to do whatever, and like you know, like whatever it takes. I'm in this one room for as long as you need. It was supposed to be Michael K. Williams. That would have been way better. It got recast. It was supposed to be Omar. Wait. As Saw Gerrera is Paul the Paul Bettany character from the Paul Sa- Bettany character from Solo really was, was originally wow. Michael K Williams yeah that's some sliding door shit right there I'm also pretty sure that uh, Bettany's character wasn't added until Ron Howard came on board no no it was before I think it was before Howard came on it was Michael K Vaughn and then I think when the thing blew up and the guys got fired uh, that was when it it's, things didn't align for Michael K or whatever they went in a different direction but. It's a bummer. They, sh- they sure did go in a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of different directions, so we cut to one of the most awesome shots of the film, which is the Death Star shadow shot and the idea of like the tiny, tiny Star Destroyers against the scope of the Death Star. Like, mm-hmm. I just l- absolutely love that. Um, and then we go inside and we have our first view of Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say that I think in. 30% of the shots, he looks absolutely real and completely perfect. In about 30% of the shots, he looks a little iffy and distracting. And for the rest, it's like totally fine. And I didn't, I didn't notice it. Do you guys, mm. does that line up for you? I think so. I think when I first saw the movie, I remember reacting to his reflection because you don't, you see him from behind and you get the reflection of Moff Tarkin on the, on the windshield of the whatever they're on. Mm. And I think I gasped like, oh shit. It's Tarkin. And then he mm-hmm. turned around. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> What's happening? Uh, but I warm up to it quite well. I mean, it's it's a feat on what they did. Now, if it's going to hold up in time, as, as of now, it's fine. It's nothing amazing. I would rather them just try to cast somebody that looked like him and just kind of went that route instead of the CG. But um, I, I like it. It's not terrible. The voice is yep. amazing. Yeah, I think I think I'm a little more negative on it mm. than than you guys. Like I, I'm not like a hundred percent against. Yeah, uh, I I just don't. I would have made a choice that didn't involve bringing someone back from the dead. Like I, I would have like you know I would have found some way to like just whatever. We don't need Moff Tarkin actually in this movie. I love yeah. the I love the fact that they that they have Tarkin in it, and I love the fact that this is the only CG character that we're going to talk about in this film tonight. Uh, I don't <laughs> okay. want to have any other conversations it's about any true. other any other uh, potential characters. Okay. Um, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Tarkin. So so we go from there down to Jeddah City, and this is where we have the um, you know the setup for the for the battle. We have the introduction of Chirut and Baze, um, and those guys are just like dripping with chemistry and like so much likability and and badassness. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we approach the battle, two things. I love the fact that Jin and Cassian, they immediately spot, they know the sight lines, they know where the ambush, like they can size it up instantly and know exactly what's going on. But the notion that once the fight begins, this conveys probably better than anything I've seen, this idea of the guerrilla rebellious aspect um, of this war. I loved the, the way that played out, just the chaos. Yeah, I think Chirrut's like one of my favorite, like kind of non-main characters in Star Wars. Mm. He's just he's just great. I I, and I I like watching the movie every time, and we'll get to it later. But like every every time we we deal with Chirrut's last scene, uh, I like as emotionally invested as anything in the Star Wars saga. 
I agree. I think uh, Chirrut is one of the best written characters that we get, especially with his relationship with Baze. I think the two of them together have this great uh, bond and friendship that, uh, you know, I don't think we got a lot. I mean, we get it. I mean, we don't have to talk about the sequel trilogy, but we get it with Finn and Poe a little bit. This Mm. great male bond friendship that uh, just feels right. It's not toxic. It's not this overly masculine. They're just good friends. They're there for each other. I felt that. I really felt that connection with Baze and uh, Chirrut a lot. Uh, Especially, I mean, Donnie Yen is just amazing. I could watch him. Like I talked about this and about Mulan. I could watch him swing around a sword or a staff all day long. It's yeah. it's a, it's a work of art what he does. I don't remember exactly what he says about Baze, but he makes an offhand comment about how he was the I'm most with the force, the force is with me. I'm one with the force the forces with me. I'm one with the force really? the forces with me. I'm one with the force the forces with me. I'm one with the force. He's praying for the door to open. It bothers him because he knows it's possible. <laughs> Baze Morbis was once the most devoted guardian of us all. I'm beginning to think the Force and I have different priorities. Relax, Captain. We've been in worse cages than this one. I want to see like that prequel story yeah. of like a young Baze and Chirrut holding it down on Jeddah. That'd be it'd be a good comic book. Baze and Baze and Chirrut, the comic book. Totally, totally. Phil Noto should be drawing that. Phil, call us. Yeah. Um, all right. So that fight was, that, that fight was just really great. I loved all of that. Um, the way it unfolded, the little girl crying, um, and then just the, um, the, the cinematography of the shots, though, the explosions, Mm -hmm. the dirt flying. Um, I was reading today an American cinematographer magazine interview with, with Greg, and he was talking about it and about how he was using this this camera, the, the Airy Alexa camera or something that had never been used to shoot a feature. It's a digital camera, but mm. he was using 50-year-old 70-millimeter lenses and putting them together to get this very distinct look that hmm. was just gorgeous. Yeah. All right, so now we have Saw and Jin. They're captured um, by those guys, by, by Saw's forces and taken back there. And I love how paranoid he is. Jason, give us the line reading. of You came to kill me? <laughs> There's nothing left. Oh, <laughs> uh, he is very paranoid. It is, I mean, he has every right to be. The yeah. pilot shows up, and then Jin that he hasn't seen shows up, and it's all pointing to, is this a big setup? I'm not surprised he acted that way. So that poor the, gullet, <laughs> the poor gullet with the penis tentacles. So I was had- I was not crazy about that. So let's just cover the poor gullet just really quick. But mm-hmm. I'd like, I was like, this thing is kind of dumb. If it's actually reading his mind, it's going to know that he's telling the truth, right? And so may- maybe that's why he isn't having. Maybe that maybe Fully it did lost. figure out that he was telling the truth, and they realize yeah. that, and that's why he's not mad at the time that they find him later. Yeah, mm. I would prefer to have seen something. I mean, I don't hate it. I would prefer to see something like uh, the torture device that Han gets. Yeah, uh, something really like good. that kind of mm. machinery, but it's fine. So I do love when when Saw says to to Jin, you know, he is kind of challenging her. The Alliance, the the rebels, whatever it is you're calling yourself these days, all it's ever brought me is pain. You can stand to see the Imperial flag rain across the galaxy. It's not a problem if you don't look up. That mm. is a great line. Holy that shit, man! A great line. A great line. Amazing. And there's a ton of great lines like that that are just sprinkled through this through this film. The script is really, really good. 
again, Tony Gilroy, uh, who wrote Michael Clayton and the Bourne movies, uh, yeah. and is a very good screenwriter. Like I, you know, like he, like the, he did this interview on Brian Koppelman's podcast, The Moment, about what happened when he got brought in to make to do this movie. Really? Uh, which is, yeah, he's not talked about. It's he's not talked about it very much because it's kind of a delicate subject. Sure. But basically, he came in and you know. Got took over after there was a director's cut and added like 30 to 40 scenes and reshoots or however else and rewrote a significant a chunk of the movie uh, and got like a screenwriter credit after there was a director's cut of the movie, uh, which kind of shows like how much of um, how much his contribution was uh, needed and how significant it was. Um, and it was in his retelling of it he was the one who basically was like, we just need to get it back to purity of what this movie is about. This movie is about sacrifice, um, which is obviously what the movie is about and why it's really good. Um, but I don't know what they thought they were making before that. Like, it just mm. doesn't seem like the, like the version of that, that doesn't that the movie where the movie's not about sacrifice it was about other things and addition to sacrifice is not good. And so luckily they found a way to fix it. Yeah, the number that I've always been that's all I've always read thrown around is he did about 40% of the reshoots of the whole movie was Tony's uh take. Yeah. 40%. Yeah, yeah almost half. Jesus. Of yeah. Tony had to redo. Yeah, it's a is a lot. Which is a shame because I love Gareth Edwards and I don't I yeah. I, I don't I don't know that I want to know what goes behind the the details because uh, Garrett al- always seems like a good dude and he's a huge star Wars nerd and this is a dream for him. And so I don't want it to ever come out that he was a failure at star Wars, you know? Uh, right. But it is interesting to think about what had to be redone and what were we going to get out of this movie? And it, maybe it was, it was it too dark was Garrett Gareth because they, I think Disney fell in love with or ILM and Lucasfilm with Garrett's monster movie. Not, not, uh, the the Godzilla stuff. So I wonder if it was too dark for Disney and it had to no, be it was the other in. way. It not, was the other way. Not dark enough. The original one ends with a wedding. Wow. Yeah, they get away. They all get away. Yeah. So Eesh. it was like it was like. So yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like I like Gareth Edwards too, but like, yeah, this movie needed a save. Um, and uh, it's the, I really recommend this podcast. It's to, by by with Tony Gilroy, where he's on in 2018 on Brian Koppelman's show, The, the Moment. Moment. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll we'll include links in the show notes uh, for people to check that out. Great. We also have at, at the end of uh, Saw and Jin, we have Felicity's reaction to her father's message. Really, like her performance in that scene is incredible. And actually, throughout the rest of the movie, her her scenes with Cassian after uh, her father died, just she is really pouring it out uh, in this film and doing a great job. But then you have the first firing of the Death Star with a single reactor shot, and just everything about that explosion mm-hmm. and the scene. Especially, there's a pullback shot. And like the the explosion is reaching up towards the Death Star. Yeah, that's an it's amazing shot. Magic. Yeah. Everything about that's great. The firing sequence, how they used all the old like effects and the way that it looks from episode four and mm-hmm. like you know, the the wall of debris coming at that. I mean, like this is a this Such is a cool a really, idea. Some good shit they put together. You know who the firing guys were in that scene? The guys operating the pulling the fire? That was Ryan and uh, and Ram, his producer. Uh, one of the things I do enjoy about uh, this film, and it gives us, because the Death Star is always the planet killer. It's always the one shot, you're gone. I like the idea that it has this way of pulling back and it can just pinpoint a city. It doesn't have to destroy the whole planet. Like, I love that there's this like 
throttle to the laser on uh, right. the Death Star. I, I like that little extra lore bit about it. Yeah. It's got a governator. We need a statement, not a manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the wave of the ground, it, the cool thing about that was you expect like this explosion ripple effect, but I feel like that wave effect of it ripping up the earth is something fresh and new. It wasn't, didn't feel like anything else blowing up on a planet that we've seen over and over again, like Armageddon or whatever. Really great. So we cut from there to the Edu assault. We we know now that that's where Galen is, and so they're going to go try and rescue slash murder Galen. Um, and there's this great uh, transition where Cassian doesn't trust Jin. He's like, "You have the message right," and and her like crestfallen face when she realizes mm-hmm. she doesn't have it. He doesn't trust her. Um, you know, they just they just don't have it there. Uh, is great. And as uh, you know, Cassian gets out to go. You know kind of secretly murder her father. I love this. Chirrut says the force moves darkly around a creature that's about to kill, um, mm-hmm. Cassian. And so the idea that, that, you know, she realizes, uh, Jen realizes that he's out, out to no good. So she, she puts on the helmet and it's the callback to the Leia helmet from return of the Jedi. Um, when she goes out into the rain, like I love that, uh, that look. It's poetry. Yeah. Really good. So Cassian has the shot and doesn't take it. Mm-hmm. Right. Can we talk about Krennic's management style? So, so <laughs> he's interrogating these guys. He uncovers the bad guy who's Galen, and then he kills all the scientists anyway. Like HR is going to be pissed. Like <laughs> yeah, the, I, the I, projects I, are in trouble. I think that I think the HR and the Empire is a little lax in a in a variety of ways. I mean, people are getting choked a bunch too, and that yeah. doesn't seem to result in any OSHA complaints. <laughs> <laughs> the OSHA complaints on that that landing platform alone. Yeah, it's very no slippery. Rails. Yeah, no rails. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, um, the emperor the emperor dies in a railing accident, in a workplace <laughs> railing accident. So clearly, like it was not built to code. Right. um so so we do have the rebel squadron come in and i love how absolutely badass through this entire film like even though jason you made the comment that the rebellion kind of like doesn't have their shit together and they're kind of pussyfooting around like every time the x-wings are on scene they are kicking ass Mm. Yeah, they at least have ships at this point of the like re- <laughs> in this point of the rebellion. Like, there's there's times in like the Star Wars movies where like the rebellion um, like has like you know just like one boat and like a transport <laughs> ship and like an ion cannon or whatever. And you're like, this isn't gonna work. Like those other guys have a lot. Like yeah. you got like you know Laura Dern and like a you know a tanker truck or something. Like this is not this is not a fair <laughs> fight, my guys. Uh, but yeah, no, they have, they have real ships. They got a bunch of squids flying stuff. It's, it's good. They got a lot of, a lot of things going on. <laughs> um, so we do have a, with the death of Galen or so we have a great father daughter scene and as he dies and the music swells, can we just, mm-hmm. I have notes that says, can we talk about the score? If you're yeah. Michael Giacchino and they're like, please step in and be the first ever person yeah. to score a Star Wars film that is not John Williams. Tough gig. Really tough gig. Yeah, I think Giacchino knocked it out of the park with this film. There's there's actually, there's a couple of moments and I think I could easily put bits of this score as top Star Wars music, um, especially towards the end. Yeah. Um, 
we can get to that later. But um, I think Giacchino knocked it out of the park. He's a, he's but there's a lot of it that's like underplayed. Like yeah. I think I think that's like one of the things, and that kind of ties into the reason we're talking about this because it ties into the cinematography too, which is mm-hmm. like it, it instead of being like the grandest, like the grandest opera, uh, which some of the Star Wars movies are. Um, this one is a little bit more. You know, it's weird to say about a you know a, a laser movie, but like it's a more naturalistic movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's more. You know, there's more close up. There's more like you know kind of seemingly natural lighting. There's a more lived in universe feel. Some of the musical cues are a little less grand. Uh, everything feels like just a little more like. Uh, you know, sad and like uh, just like a little bit more downbeat. Um, and I love that about this movie. Yeah, I definitely agree. It has, I mean, it's, it's basically just the star Wars heist movie. We don't have to worry about lightsabers and the force until the end. I mean, uh, so keeping this star Wars film completely grounded, uh, sort of say, uh, was a very smart move. Um, yeah. Especially mm-hmm. telling a tiny story uh, that has big, uh, impact in the rest of the Star Wars universe. Totally. One one thing I liked, uh, Greg described uh, when he was going for the look and, and choosing the, the lenses and stuff, he's like, I wanted it to look like, um, like episode four. He's like, but I didn't want it to actually look like episode four. I wanted it to look like what I felt like episode yeah. four looked like, my memory of it, which mm-hmm. was not the actual thing. And that's just an amazing- uh, That's great. I, yeah, a take on that. So we have uh, the second sort of Andor, uh, Cassian and Jin, round two. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. You're not the only one who lost everything. Some of us just decided to do something about it. You know, she's really pressing him for trying to kill her father. A, f- a fair complaint, a fair complaint. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Mustafar, um, so mm. we we cut over there. Jesus, I love Good the Lord. Sith Butler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. The 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 Sith bathroom attendant. Yeah. Sorry to disturb your bath. <laughs> yeah. We have to turn off the jacuzzi now. That's right. Krennic is Man, here. Man, the shot of though the shot of Vader in that back to tank uh, is is badass. Oh Woo. man, I love seeing that. They I, did so such a great job with Vader in this movie. I mean, like, like the use of Vader in this movie, they did right. such a great job. Like, they they really had a theory. It really was a good theory. Um, kudos to you for figuring out how to use like a canonical character in not mm-hmm. a totally stupid way. Mm. I could have taken, um, I could have taken a little bit more in that scene. Like, I could have taken seeing his face and and having it be Hayden's face and. Um, just, just a little, a little more of that, but well, of course you want more. Of course you want, that's why the scene's so good is like, works. you want to like, you mm. want to look at like, what, like, like, wait, what's going on? Oh, he's yeah, doesn't have yeah. the arms, right. You want to, you want, you want more, but you only get a little bit. It's a little tease in the back to bath. And then you have the shot of Krennic waiting for Vader. And as the door opens, the shadow Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Danny, that could have been the artwork for your Rogue One episode on <laughs> seventy millimeter. Like that There's shadow so many on the wall. Could have done. Yeah, Holy it's such a shit. great shot. Such a smart shot. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, and then flipping it around is also awesome shot of Vader standing in the doorway, just backlit. Yeah, nuts. Woo. Is is that like a Mustafar conference room that you reserve on Outlook? Like just like the <laughs> like you know, like the gangplank pyramid death room. <laughs> like is yeah. that is. <laughs> Or does it have like a whimsical, a whimsical name like Ewok right. A or something? Right, right. <laughs> Ewok A. 
that's a good that's a good set. So we do have uh, Krennic here, really focusing on managing up. He's he's trying to get his credit for the work that he's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we have probably the worst line in the movie of the "Don't choke on your aspirations." No, it's so good. It's so I'm, cheesy. I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I with like it. it. You were. I'm the it only makes one? me grin. Okay. It makes all me right. grin. It's so cheesy. But it, Vader has these one line. He's got these yeah. one liners throughout all of it. So it's nothing yeah. terribly new. Yeah, he's I think all, he's got know, another choking one line in... Uh, apology accepted. Yeah. Apology accepted is good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, fair enough. Um, so then we go to the Rebel Council, and this is Jin uh, essentially giving the update. Um, and we have this great speech. Uh, and, you know, the music is swelling, and her saying rebellions are built on hope mm. um, in a way that is so earnest. Like, I just really love that. And I also love the fact that the rebellion is, they're scared. They don't know what they're doing and they're afraid that it's all about to fall apart. Again, they seem like scrubs, but yes, her speech is good. Shut up and fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get with the program. We're yeah. fighting the empire. We can't go back. They're not taking us back. There's nowhere right. to go. That's right. Uh, but you know, like a general Draven is played by, as who I know is not, you're talking about a general Draven is played by Alistair Petrie in mm-hmm. the scene. Who's, uh, who's the one that like tells, Cassian to kill, uh, to kill him. Uh, and he's great. Cause this is my second, my second chance to shout out the night manager, uh, once again, Ooh. cause he is also really good in the night manager. Cool. Um, so please check out that show, which I don't know why I just feel the need to promote at all times. That guy is great. Uh, he is, he's really great through this whole movie. Yeah. He's really good. He's really good. So Jin gets denied. She leaves. Uh, and as she walks out and with Cassian begins forming Rogue Squadron, like that, that is the moment. So I'm guessing maybe this is another Tony line. Well done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. Spies, saboteurs, assassins. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. And every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in. A cause that was worth it. Without that, we're lost. Everything we've done would have been for nothing. I couldn't face myself if I gave up now. Uh, you know, he's not gonna, he's not gonna give up. Um, I, I just, I love that. And then you have K2. Jin. I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. (laughs) Yeah. Such a good line. Awesome. I love K2, man. So good. I'm so glad we're getting that Cassian K2 show on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Should be funny. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, As they're blasting out of there, you do have uh, the reference over the loudspeaker for General Sindula to the council. Um, I love that. We have Chopper mm-hmm. uh, from Rebels also seen yeah, on man. screen, which is which is great. And the ghost uh, off to the side, um, which is what my son calls our car, the ghost. Um, so <laughs> wow. I, I love having that. That's pretty grand. That's yeah. pretty grandiose. <laughs> I love having that in there. We also have Bale saying that he's going to contact the Jedi uh, and that he has a reliable source to help carry that message, which is great. So then we get to the Scarif assault. And so the shield around Scarif is like one of the coolest things that Star Wars has ever has ever done. Just cut, It's pretty cool. Just the layout of it is really amazing. It looks beautiful. The idea of the sort of technical component and the architectural component. Um, but then we talked about environments earlier. The idea of having a beach and palm yeah. trees and waterfalls and sand troopers like, it's just beautiful. 
amazing. It's, bas- it's basically the Maldives. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's like these series of atolls. Yeah. Now, I will say that as I, if I were designing the Empire's data storage facility, I would not put it in a tropical climate because your energy <laughs> costs are just going to be prohibitive. Like Hoth would be a good place for yeah, a that's data true. center. You know, that's fair. You don't want to put it in such a warm place. But aside, it's very beautiful, and you get some good R and R if you're stationed there. I guess. Now, I will say this was the part that I struggle with the most uh, with the film, and that is the third act feels like an RPG. Get the data file. Open the shield with the master switch. There, align there's a lot the dish, of clicking a button. Transmit the mm-hmm. message. Like yeah. the whole the whole mission of having Bodhi go through all the hassle to do the master switch to connect it to tell the rebels in orbit to destroy the shield, which they're already doing. Like I think all of that just could have been cut out and tightened. Um, you could have given Bodhi another really great exit uh, from the film, but that that to me was that's the piece of this that that works the least well for me. Mm. I think that I think that's a fair criticism. I mean, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of uh, you know sort of gather quests in this in this part of the in this part of the movie. Uh, I, the part where it tripped for me was when she gets like the no, you have to align the shield disc, and she has to walk out to the platform. Like, why would the alignment controls be all the way out? <laughs> so like at the end it. of the platform, that, that's so the you can only walk part. Out, get a good perspective <laughs> but there's an of illustra- the dish. There's like the dish, <laughs> like they're showing you the. <laughs> <laughs> diagrammatic version of it. You don't need to go out on the death, the you know, the, <laughs> the death, death trestle. <laughs> yeah, the death, another death bridge, another non-OSHA compliant bridge. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair. I do think though that they do a really good job of up continuously upping the stakes in this third act. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so you just you and then you also kind of get the sense of where this is all headed. I mean, that's the thing about Rogue One, like just to take one step up, which is that you know where this story ends, right? You know that like they get the plans for the Death Star because episode four starts and you kind right. of get a sense like we're, we're, we're right up against like the minutes before that movie begins and you know that you've never heard of any of these fucking people uh, before this movie. So there's no reason that they're going to make it and like and you, you know, you've kind of, you kind of maybe knew that before, but as you get into this third act, like the stakes of that just become clear. And it's like, again, the Tony Gilroy point is like, this is a movie about sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've never had a Star Wars. I mean, there's never been a Star Wars movie in which like, it's just like, we're gonna kill off everyone in the third act. Like that's, you know, there's never been like a, a, a version of, of, of sacrifice like that in Star Wars. And so I, I think it makes it really exciting, even though they are a bunch of fetch quests. And that's how, <clears throat> for me, the fetch quests, I think, uh, I think what it does at least, uh, it does a good job of giving you moments with the characters before they die. So you have Bodhi yeah. doing the thing, you have Boz and Chiru doing the thing. So you're with these characters doing whatever they needed to do to get the Death Star plans out. And then you have their moments of death. So I think having them separate and not just in the background or all together running and getting shot somewhere, I think it's smart. It was smart of them to just kind of give them their moments and their scenes of, you know, their their heroic moments uh, in this film. Well, and this was this was this was again like uh, all extensively reshot. Uh, the, yeah. Like by by Tony Gilroy. Like, and we know that because the trailer, the original the trailer, trailer yeah. for 
has like all these different shots that aren't in there, like you know, uh, Jin confronting a Tie Fighter on the bridge, right. and Krennic survives and ends up on the beach, and like all these other. There's all these other shots and all this other idea of how this went. But I think you're right. I really agree with this point that this, the way they laid it out here, gives each character its own moment. And even though the idea of Chirrut needs to flip this switch is kind of like what, like yeah. I, that is my favorite scene in the movie. <clears throat> like the Chirrut, <throat> the I am with the Force and the Force with me is my number one favorite scene in the movie by far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I absolutely love that. So I think know, that was whatever. Slim's favorite scene as well. Yeah, don't recall. bring it up with Slim. <laughs> oh, he hates that. Oh, he hates it with the passion. Oh wow, we need to get Slim back on here. He's got a lot of bad takes. <laughs> yeah, tell okay. Let me get Slim on the horn. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Proto was not a fan of Darth Vader in this movie. So yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. know about I don't know about these 70 million. I don't know why guys. this is podcast it? is surviving anyway. So <laughs> we, we should have made a pass rogue <laughs> because one. Because of your artwork. Yeah. <laughs> uh so so yeah, I agree. All all that stuff happening. I, I love just even um, the rebels infiltrating the base and like planting mm-hmm. the charges everywhere and getting set, choosing the ground and fighting. And once you have Blue Leader down there, like again taking out at ats and all that, like it was, it was just great that that, that mm-hmm. whole fight scene. But then you also have one of the best looking space battles yeah, of maybe. any Star Wars that's been done, yeah. including I love when the shield closes and the guy like skips off oh. and, and, and explodes yeah. there. Tough, or, tough break for that guy. Yeah, but yeah. the best is the Hammerhead Corvette. Yeah. Like, come on, that's amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Rebels, again. That ship was introduced in Rebels. It oh, was really? brought to the. It was brought to them by Leia, too. She brought the fleet of Hammerhead Corvettes in as well. That was really great. I love that. I, lo- I love all the, the look of that. Well, especially the rogue, the red leader and gold leader, which is the original actors uh, mm-hmm. from... Yeah from the episode four, which is bonkers that they found the old footage of them just in a box. And Mm -hmm. even the fact that they had leftover footage at all because of how George was so tight on what he had to shoot. I mean, they were on a shoestring budget anyway. So everything that was shot was pretty much used for the film. So finding any unused footage was nuts. And I love that they got, I think it was probably Gold Leader who was still Mm -hmm. alive. And he, he says his line in episode four, which is something... And then he fin- that cuts away from, him, but he keeps talking. And he came back and re-recorded the line that the shield was still up or something. So the hmm. same actor from episode four is still alive and got to do his voice again, which is really rad. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's really cool. I can't believe they found this footage. That's like a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. Like they <laughs> it's went into so like nuts. you know, like the room of the room of requirement and like just found like you know, <laughs> right. like some random like reels of shit that they, I was like, oh yeah, no, this is good. We'll use this. Yeah, I, I think I think Gareth found it like they were doing Gareth a tour. Did, yeah, yeah, of of Lucasfilm and they and they saw the footage and and he was like, whoa, what's this? I think there's um, footage of him finding it. Really. I think that because they were filming him going through the archives for the dot, the behind the scenes stuff. And there's a shot where he pulls out the box, which has the reels in it. That's awesome. Crazy. Um, so the, you know, the, the death of everybody, uh, is handled mm-hmm. so great to the point. It's not mournful. It's like, it's so celebratory in, in the moment. Um, and just that, that final shot of Jin and Cassian as the music swells mm-hmm. is so great. phenomenal. And then the pullback of the, the death star view down and, just like the, the explosion just looks so incredible. Um, and then we get to Vader unleashed um, mm. on board on board the, the, uh, the capital ship. That was just phenomenal. Um, and I loved seeing Vader go to town. I will say that um, season seven of Clone Wars had an even cooler Sith <laughs> hallway fight that was, that was done even more powerfully. But um, 
it was just terrific. And I, for me, this was my challenge. This scene was what I wanted episode three to be when I was a kid. All right. I had always dreamed right. that, that, you know, episode, you know, one was going to be Anakin and, and Obi-Wan as, as best friends. And episode two is going to be <laughs> him turning and them fighting. And then episode three was going to be Vader going all mm. out uh, to take out the Jedi. So it was great for me to be able to see Vader in his power doing his thing. That's a, it's a phenomenal sequence. It's like, it, it, sequence. I, I just remember seeing it in the theater and just like, I was a fan of the movie up until that point. And then like that happens and there's just something inside. I just remember things like, oh my God, they're doing this. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, just like this total, like, holy shit, they're going to do some crazy Vader shit now. Like, you know, just like a total fanboy, like, you know, and like, I think, I, I don't think it's fair to say that it's fan service, I think it like serves like a clear, a clear, you know, plot reason for doing mm. it. Um, like we know that, like you know, we know that like the you know T- Tantine Four gets away, uh, and that's how Star Wars, and that's how Episode Four starts. Uh, and you know, it's just it's great. Like why not? Like we need we need we need it in our lives. Uh, I was so excited for it. I love I love watching it every single time. Every time. I mean, it's you know, it's cool because you have about fifteen minutes left of the film when when Cassian shoots Krennic on the tower and the the music is perfect. Giacchino's score is slow and building up, and then you get to that Vader scene and it just kind of rips into it's not it's not really the Imperial March, but it's this mm-hmm. it's this great uh, you know, it gets you. And then he's just ripping the the rebels. I mean, it's what you want to see Vader do. I mean, we get we get good Vader stuff in Empire and and Jedi and the final battle with Luke is great, but there's nothing. And maybe because he's younger in this film, he's not older. And and you know, throughout the two Death Stars, and so yeah. maybe we get this more pry or spry Vader, but. Man, this is exactly what you want from Vader. You want his. Yeah. You want the terror of Vader, which is what Proto said he didn't. He didn't get from this. Um, yeah. You just want this because Vader is this massive figure, and and so uh, it's yeah, it's perfect. I absolutely, I could watch it every time. Over those over rebels' again. reactions to him were amazing. They were yeah, just those absolutely extras, terrified. They, right? They're perfect when he when we're he's fucked. when he's at the door, sticking it through, just yelling to take <laughs> yeah. it because he yeah. knows it's over. I just yeah. love that his first reaction is to get the door open because he doesn't want to die like this. He's not saying, here, take it to begin with. He's like, get me out of here now. And then it's just like, nope, sorry, you're getting a saber through the chest. And it's instantaneous, right? Like he's like, he gets it through there and you think there'll be a momentary reprieve. No, Vader's lightsaber is straight through there. He's he's coming at. Um, Also, just the ignition of Vader's lightsaber in that scene is probably the most aggressive (laughs) lightsaber sound ever. It's great. (laughs) It's like, and like, this is where, like, I think this is where, you know, again, this was like early, this is movie two uh, of the, of the current era where it's like, oh, they're like playing with house money. Like they know what they're doing. Like they know how to Mm -hmm. use these characters. Uh, And they, Mm. they have like an idea of where it's ending up. And uh, I'm just like frustrated that that didn't sustain uh, through the end of the Star Wars Hmm. saga. Yeah, well, I love uh, you know, so I, I love that uh, that that finale there. Uh, those guys getting you know onto the Tantive Four and and taking off. Like I said, we don't have to talk about it. The Tantive uh, jumps to you. Don't want to talk? And, what, and, this is this kills it for you. We can definitely talk about Leia. 
Because it doesn't kill it for me. Oof. Um, but I do feel like um, it's not great. It's funny. It's it's funny because it's what I wanted from Tarkin, but I don't want it for Leia. Like I wanted a real actor. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I know we get CG on her face, but it's not like a Tarkin CG. Like it's it's just manipulating. It's it's. I mean, I guess it is an overlay, but it feels less like Tarkin. But it feels wrong. Like I I don't have Tarkin as a character's face memorized as much as I do Leia and Carrie Fisher's face, and so when she turns around, it's just it's not Carrie, and it instantly right. kind of I take a step back. And my problem is we didn't we didn't need to see her face. Right. The shot of right. the shot behind her is perfect. Totally. The shot of her turning around and grabbing it is perfect. And and that's where they could have left it. I mean that's that's, that's a good all we that's a good edit. That's what they should have done. Um we didn't need the turnaround. Um because Fire it, Tony it, it felt Fire forced. Tony get a new director. <laughs> yeah. Cut that shot. Director three. But it doesn't kill it for me because it feels great. Like it feels great that Leia's there. I, I, I wanted sure. to see her. I, di- I didn't expect to see her, uh, but I, I really wanted to. Um, and so I know I gasped when that door opened. You see her from behind. Like it's yeah. it's such yeah. an incredible shot. Yeah. Um, but then, <laughs> but then when she turns around, I'm like, oh man, that's not Carrie. <laughs> so it's like, no. oh man, bummer. Maybe in but ten it's years, still good. Yeah, maybe maybe in ten years, uh, they they can take it back. <laughs> Danny, last thoughts on Rogue One, and and thoughts about thoughts about how it, it impacts what you're thinking about for Dune. Okay, um, Rogue One to me, as of now, now that we've had Rogue One and Solo and three episodes, I still think Rogue One is the best thing Disney's done with the IP. Uh, it to me, it feels. It feels honestly, it feels like the most Star Wars Star Wars movie. It's what I wanted from from Star Wars as a whole. Anyway, um, I love how it runs right into Episode Four. I think it's genius, and it feels risky. And I like that they took the risk. I like what I mean. I'm glad Tony came in and helped it because to me, it it's a it's not a perfect movie, but it's still a five star movie. It's still it still gets my blood going every time I watch it. Uh, it's got a great score. The cinematography. I mean, we can talk about what Greg did in this movie. Is he created one of the most beautiful Star Wars films without having to blind us with lens flares and bright colors? And even though I love a good color palette, mm. it doesn't always have to be bright colors. And so I think what Greg has done with this film is is giving me hope that I'm going to fall as much in love with Dune uh, as I have with Rogue One. I have I have a huge connection, not connection personally, but I, I love the actors. I love I love Oscar. I love Timothy. Um, so I'm I'm very excited to see what they do. I love I love Zendaya. Um, so I, I just think there's a there's this Dune is a risk. I know it's a huge IP. It's one of the it's the biggest selling sci-fi book. I mean, but if done right, we're going to have a, a masterpiece and hopefully an IP that continues to grow, uh, and mm. have a bigger fan base. Nice. Jason. I think that's a great take. I think that's really good. I think that is optimistic. I I'm watching this movie again with an eye towards the cinematography made me optimistic about Dune, mm-hmm. uh, because it's got that, like he does both. He's got like both the grand, he's got everything. He's got grand space battles. He's got like ridiculous sets, like the Darth Vader, you know, yeah. inquisit inquisition room. Um, and he's got like, you know, these really intimate lived in spaces, um, that give, you know, the characters like places to do really good work. Uh, and I, I'm, I think Dune needs all of that. So I think he's 
the perfect man for the job. I'm excited he's doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I also agree at this point that I think Rogue One is the best of the five Disney Star Wars movies. And I previously would have said Last Jedi um, mm-hmm. because I, mm. I just love I love the choices that they make in there and how yeah, with subversive how subversive it is to the Star Wars mythos. Because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. We're all huge Star Wars fans. Yeah. I'm not precious about it. I want Disney to be able to take risks and do. Uh, interesting things with this world that we love. They don't need to hew to like, you know, the exact same religion. And that's why Last Jedi was so compelling is because, you know, it's like the Jedi suck, raise Mm -hmm. no one. Like all of these stories, like were just, all these elements were huge. But then to me, they just threw it all away in episode nine, like to the extent to which like, for no reason, like for, for they, they didn't even have a plan for what they were doing. And it was, you know, it's been revealed afterwards that they didn't even have a plan for what they were doing. Like, right. re, like, you know, um, Daisy Ridley was doing Josh Gad's podcast mm-hmm. this week and she was revealed that during shooting, not, not even like before shooting, but during shooting, she was going to be a Kenobi. Like mm-hmm. there was like all these other versions of like what they were. And it, and so they just took this approach, which is let's just throw shit at the wall and see what happens. We'll find the movie along the way. Uh, and I, I just don't think you can do that with, uh, with something, with something, this Titanic and with rogue one, they kind of took that approach and were able to save it. Tony Gilroy is able to save it um, mm-hmm. because they had a box around it. They knew where they had to end up. Right. They have to end up with the plans in Leia's hands. They mm-hmm. can't like, you know, they put a constraint around it. And when with episode nine and with the, with the, 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 the movies in general, they just didn't have like a, they didn't have enough of a constraint or a theory of where they wanted to end up from, on the front end. And I'm just really resentful that they didn't do more mm. prior, prior proper planning. I don't disagree with you. Are we healed? I feel better. I feel better <laughs> saying it to you guys. That's good. I feel like I've got it off my chest. We're it's here funny for you. because uh, I, I uh, while I enjoy the sequel trilogy, I, I'm of the mindset that it's just not for me. I, I and what's it's kind of sad that I right. can't enjoy one through nine mm, and right. be like, this is amazing for me. My kids love it. My kids absolutely love seven, eight, nine. I mean, they. My daughters love Daisy. They love her story. They love how it ended. They love the kiss. They, I mean, they're just, they're, I have almost a teenage daughter. I mean, this was everything to her. So this yeah. is her trilogy. This isn't my trilogy. The original trilogy is my trilogy. I grew up on one, two, and three. So it's like, if my kids are going to love this and this is what keeps them in Star Wars, then I'm going to be happy about it. So, yeah. but after, I mean, I was almost checked out of seven eight brought me back thinking, holy cow, they're going to do this. And then nine was just nine. So that's yeah. wild. That's I'm wild. also just yeah. like, I'm also just resentful that like they like backed off so much from eight because of like Reddit mm-hmm. edge Lords, like, you know, the, yeah. because of, like this, like, you know, like corrosive part of like fandom in the world was like, no, like she must be a part of some lineage. And like, you know, it's like, what? Like, g- give me a break. Like that's not, that, that's not the thing to like, that's not the hill to die on. And then mm-hmm. they like not only died on it, but like, you know, like, you know, killed, killed the movie for it. And so. also how good would have Kenobi have been for her? I mean, that, even yeah. that storyline would have been amazing. Yeah, something. It would have been... I mean, when I heard Ryan give the description, not to beat the dead horse, but when I heard Ryan say he wanted to give the answer that was the hardest for the for her and the hardest for the audience, which is that she's no one. Mm, right. That is brilliant. And yeah, it's I great. I absolutely love... I love that idea. And, and I'm someone who... I love Force Awakens. When, mm-hmm. I, when I had to choose what was going to be the first Star Wars film that I was going to share with my son, I had always planned that I would do the Machete Order. 
and I would I would go through straight. But no, I went to Force Awakens because Force Awakens is the most fun. It is absolutely a thrill ride, and it's hilarious, and it's got great effects. And I love Kylo, and I love Solo. Like all those guys are so great through the film. Finn and Poe, just magic. Ray, yeah. incredible. So mm-hmm. I I I love the fact now that the prequels exist. I love the mm-hmm. fact that the sequels exist. Um, I definitely agree with you. I think um, I think Rogue One is probably the tightest um, and strongest in terms of pure Star Wars kind of adrenaline. Um, I definitely like it. And I would love to see, I'm more interested in seeing more standalone kind of yeah. unique. It doesn't have to have lightsabers. It doesn't have to be directly about the force. Like just give me more grand sci-fi with interesting stories mm-hmm. in corners of the universe that that to me is very appealing. Yeah, well the Mandalorian's very hopeful in that regard and John Favreau like being mm-hmm. involved is is very hopeful in that regard. It's funny like ironically despite the fact that 9 is the movie I I hate most, it's actually the one that my son saw first. Like, he hasn't seen the movie but like, he's only 22 months old but like he he saw mm-hmm. uh he saw footage Snippets. of it first because yeah, because I have a I have a Dio uh, character and he loves he loves the Dio uh, character and so I had to show him I had to show him parts of Nine so he could see as he calls him Dio. Um, so yeah, it's the first one he's seen. That is awesome. So we have one last bit of business, which is who would Tilda Swinton play? Danny, if you had to cast one of the roles, who would it be? Uh, I actually thought about this today while watching. Uh, she would have been an amazing critic. I would have definitely have casted her as Krennic. Uh, She she would have, I mean, she would have knocked that role out of the park. I couldn't have, I can't picture of anything else. And it would have been cool to kind of, even though Krennic and Galen knew each other, maybe she's a scorned ex of his or something from the past. I don't know. But I think she would have played a grand bad guy in this film, for sure. That is great. Jason, your trick shot? Well, the trick shot is Borg Gullet, but uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, she's the, crawling uh, all crawling all over. I like the. I think the chronic choice is I have Borg Gullet. I think the. Uh, I think the chronic choice is very good. I think she could have been a great K two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Instead of a robot head, it's just her head. Exactly. Well, yeah, and but she's actually playing it as a robot, but yeah. she's a, she's her actual android. Person. Yeah, she's an android, <laughs> like exactly. a data. All right. Well, that brings us to your letters. Mm. So let me uh, let me cue up uh, our voicemail here. Here we go. Doom Pod, what's going on, guys? Corey from Austin, Texas. Well, I hadn't checked in since the trailer. Of course, I've been listening uh, to the pod, but uh, I was really blown away. I do feel what y'all are feeling with the if you're not into Doom, what does this trailer say to you? I'm hoping that it'll appear to sci-fi geeks, um, you know, no matter what. But it looks fantastic. And I didn't mind the Pink Floyd song being used, surprisingly. Usually I'm against that stuff. But uh, I actually liked it. Um, the Rage, or uh, Rage, excuse me, the Enemy episode was really good. I haven't seen it. Um, it's definitely now on my list. I didn't even know that movie existed. Mm. I do like Joan Hall. He uh, does give very good beard. And, and uh, multiple roles. <laughs> and if you haven't seen Nightcrawler, you got to see it. It's fantastic. And then what was that movie he did 
with God. He was like an author, and his wife cheated on him, and this and it goes back and forth between a story that he's telling in his book, and then what really happened in their life. Anyway, I remember really enjoying that movie too, and I can't think of the name of it for life of me, and I'm not going to look it up because I'm going to try to remember it. All right, keep up the great work, you guys. Uh, loving the pod, of course. I say it every time, and uh, talk to y'all soon. Corey, thank you for your voicemail. We love you, man. Thank you for for reading in. Um, Danny, did you see Enemy? I haven't, no. But I listened to the episode, and I don't know if I want to see it now. <laughs> it sounds uh, it sounds intense, especially with all the spider talk. That's right. Yeah, I didn't see Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is amazing. I haven't seen Nightcrawler. Uh, I really need to see it. it. Nightcrawler is directed and written by Tony Gilroy's brother Dan Gilroy. Really? Oh, there you go. And also has. Um, uh, oh, uh, Riz Ahmed is in Nightcrawler, too. Oh, yes. Cool. Nice. Awesome. All right, well, we have one more voicemail. Nocturnal animals. <laughs> it's so great. Michael Shannon, like, kicks me major ass in that movie. Anyway, all right. Sorry, disremembered. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> he remembered the name. Nocturnal uh, animals. Funny. Okay, I have not seen that. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Corey makes, I mean, we've all said it, the valid point of, are people going to connect with Dune? But I think they're bringing in major star power, major, major current star power with Timothy and Brolin and Isaac. Zendaya. And I think it's going to, and Zendaya, I think they're, I think it's very smart. And I think it's also, I don't think a lot of the generation's going to realize that that's a Pink Floyd song. It's just, it's, it's, uh, so, um, I think it's valid, but I think, I think they have a chance for sure. Nocturnal Animals looks like a f- banger. Like Nocturnal Animals is Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. and Michael Shannon. My God, is it good? Have you seen it? I haven't. It's on my watch list. Oh, huh. man. I realized in terms of the trailer music talk, um, Jason, you were making the case that they should have done the Pixies, a slowdown Pixies version, and I realized- <laughs> Yeah, Wave of Mutilation. I've thought about it since last, uh, <laughs> last, last week. Wave, a slowed down <laughs> choral arrangement of Wave of Mutilation. No, so it's been done. Uh, they did it for Southland Tales like 15 years ago. Wave of Mutilation, for real? Yeah, The Rock and uh, Sarah Michelle Geller and Sean, American Pie, what's his nuts, These whatever that guy's tales. name is. What the fuck? Uh, so I was right, but I'm like horribly out of date. I'm like dated. Off by 15 years. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. Danny, what is the next piece of artwork that you are working on? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I have a huge uh, trilogy piece that I have just wrapped up for Lucasfilm. Uh, mm. Approved? Uh, four, five, and six. Not approved yet. We still got a little bit of changes, the narrative and stuff like that. So I have a big... Uh, piece coming out with them. Other than that, um, that's a lot of work on 70 millimeter right now. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Grinding are, away. They're bleeding you dry. <laughs> it's like a borgullet. Uh, it's okay. I welcome the pain. Jason, what is your next piece of artwork? Mm. What's my next piece of artwork? Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to overpromise anything, and it's it will not be <laughs> produced by me. But we may have something a special holiday treat for Dune Pod oh, listeners. Baby. Uh, later, later this holiday season. So keep listening. There keep us go. in your thoughts. Give us those five star reviews, and maybe uh, the Santa Claus of Arrakis will visit you this year. And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason and Danny for a great conversation. Next week, spiritual advisor Protolexis returns for part one of our two part discussion of the third book in Herbert's Hexology. Children of Dune. You will not want to miss this. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us at DunePod on Instagram and Twitter and share our social media posts as it really helps new listeners find the show. DunePod is a production of H Industries, a member of the Paper Keg Radio Syndicate. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>